Let's open with a word of prayer. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you that we could be here today. We pray that you would bless your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would strengthen us and help us to uh, hear your word, believe it, and be strengthened by it. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So uh, we are really flying through Romans now. Uh, I mean, we finished a whole, we finished a chapter last week. Um, uh, not that I'm not going to touch back on it, but uh, um, we, we finished chapter 12. We're going to get into chapter 13 here, and uh, we'll just start with those first seven verses. Let everyone submit to the governing authorities, since there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are instituted by God. So then, the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Do you want to be unafraid of the one in authority? Do what is good, and you will have its approval. For it is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, because it does not carry the sword for no reason. For it is God's servant, an avenger that brings wrath on the one who does wrong. Therefore, you must submit not only because of wrath, but also because of your conscience. And for this reason, you pay taxes, since the authorities are God's servants continually attending to these tasks. Pay your obligation to everyone, taxes to those to whom you owe taxes, tolls to those you owe tolls, respect to those you owe respect, and honor to those you owe honor. So. Go back in your, your, your history, your memory. What was the governing authority at the time of Paul? Yeah, the Roman Empire. So why would Paul's words here perhaps be controversial? They were harsh and oppressive. They were harsh and oppressive. What else do we know about them? In a lot of ways, they were corrupt. Yes. So if the Jewish part of the readership is not going to necessarily be too keen on this idea that Rome is in charge and that's from God, right? The Gentiles might be like, oh, that's fine, right? But... Uh, well, Caesar was God, too, right, to them? Yeah. So Caesar kind of has this role that considers himself to be God. That's kind of interesting. Anything else? Anybody know who the Caesar was as? Uh, it was Nero, yeah. Now, to be fair, when Nero came into office, um, he was seen as a breath of fresh air. Because I can't remember if this is the, was Caligula the one before him? Uh, who was just absolutely debased and debauched in everything that he did. I, I don't remember if, if that's the exact order, but um, the, there were problems with each of the Caesars. Um, Nero was raised and taught by a certain philosopher named Seneca, 
know, and so they were hoping that that would be a good influence on him. And, and so when he came into office, it was, it was actually a, a fairly hopeful time in the Roman Empire. Um, does anybody happen to know who, who had Paul executed? Who was the emperor for that? Nero? Same guy? You know, I mean, he's the emperor, you know. We do, well, there's debate as to whether or not Nero ever saw Paul. Um, there are some who think that he did because in the book of Acts, we know that he appealed to Caesar and that was one of the rights of a Roman citizen. And so um, there's debate in terms of, you know, what exactly happened, but by all accounts, it would seem that he would have been able to give his case to Caesar, to Nero. And so some people believe that this actually happened twice, that the first time uh, in the book of Acts that Nero threw it out because the, um, the accusations were unfounded. And that was one of the things that's really consistent through the book of Acts. You know, they're saying that this arrest and everything was unjust. And so there's thought that when he got to Nero, Nero freed Paul, and then perhaps Paul went on to Spain. We'll talk a little bit about that as we get to the, the end of Romans. Um, that was part of his hope and his goal. Um, and we think then that uh, um, at some point he runs afoul of the Roman government again, and this time, you know, he's executed. So the year 66 AD sticks in my head but I, I might be wrong about that. So, um, the idea of the government being uh, a, uh, hmm, something that's instituted by God, is that a stance that's controversial today? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Uh, I think that this is something that um, I, Christians will wrestle with, and, and rightfully so. Um, I think that uh, as we look at the different governmental structures that you can see around the world, um, you know, whether it is uh, the varying forms of democracy or, um, you know, blending with socialism over into communism, monarchies, um, oligarchies, whatever else. Um, there are all kinds of different governments. Um, do any of them necessarily uh, preclude Christianity? Do they make it impossible for Christianity to spread? And for people, not impossible. They try. They try. Some make it harder than others. But it actually strengthens faith. Yeah. And uh, I, I, I am of the opinion that uh, government can be a huge blessing and something that we give thanks for and, uh, um, and can be uh, something that sets us in a good place, but it doesn't have to be a democracy and it doesn't have to be a monarchy. You know, while we're going to be, try to be good citizens I think that's one of the points of Romans. I think it's also a major sub-point in the book of Acts that we, you know, Christians are good citizens. We also hold you know, that we're part of another kingdom. You know, and uh, 
um, Christianity has, has thrived under pretty much every form of government. Yes. And then if you did, then it's like we've only got a short time. You're not going to change all this. Right. Clean up your own house, you know. Yep. Does that make sense? It does, but he's very much talking about being, you know, good citizens here. You know, he's he's thinking, you know, big picture and everything. Um, he, and he says that the government is a gift that God gives us yeah. for our benefit. You know, and I don't think he's... I do think that he, I think that he probably felt that um, the second coming, or he at least hoped that the second coming was sooner than it has been. Um, but uh, that was pretty normal in the early church. Um, and even if it's not, that doesn't impact the way that we live. We live as though the second coming is imminent. That's what we're called to do. That's what Jesus calls us to do, right? You know, so, yeah, Sue. So verse three, I kind of have a hard time with, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct. Yeah. Well, if you live in North Korea, you might not. That's true. So I have trouble reconciling that to truth for what actually happened in the world. Yeah, so I think part of what is, part of what's going on here is what we have to understand um, this part where it talks about there is no authority except from God. So can a government then usurp its role and overstep its bounds and is then accountable to God? And the answer is yes. You know, and I mean, our governments are human systems. You know, they're ordained by God to do the work that he calls them to do. And when they don't do that work, things get sticky, right? Because the Sanhedrin that convicted Jesus and uh, persecuted the apostles, ordained by God, um, it, it was an important governing group of leaders in, in the Jewish people. And when they told the apostles, do not preach in this name, they kind of said, we got to obey God rather than men. You know, so, but I think that, I think that the default idea for us is really supposed to be that the government is there and it's intended to be good for us, to give us a, a better life than we would have in anarchy. And it is supposed to be God's tool to bring peace and to allow us to thrive. So, you know, when we think about the Roman government, we talked about, you know, the injustices that are involved with Rome, especially in relation to other nations. 
uh, one of the things that Rome did remarkably well was build roads and keep peace. You know, there were no little rebellions all over the place. You know, the Roman Empire was largely at peace, especially in the, in the middle part. And at that time, Paul is able to travel all over the Mediterranean without a lot of fear of robbery or, you know, pirates or, you know, and he carries the gospel all over. It's debatable whether or not that could have happened at a different point in history before this or shortly thereafter with the chaos of the fall of Rome and, and all of that. And so even though we would look at Rome and say there are things that are corrupt there, did God use that government to be a blessing to his people? Yes. Yeah. But it is a sticky question, and, I, and we're going to come back to that. Um, so, one of the things that's important to remember uh, around about uh, Romans 13 is that this is rooted in what we talked about in Romans 12. Sometimes people like to come to this and treat it like it's a one-off. You know, it, it, like, you know, Paul has switched gears here. He's talking about something completely unrelated to what he's talking about before. That's not the case. This still goes back to Romans 12, verse 1, where Paul begins, he says, in view of the mercies of God. In view of the fact that you are a redeemed child of God, your relationship with these other things has changed. And this also connects back to um, Romans 12, 17 through 21, regarding vengeance. So th these are the verses just prior to what we're talking about here in 13. You know, so we had a little bit of discussion about vengeance uh, last week, that this is not something that's a, something that we are given personally to, to do. Um, we entrust that into God's hands. We had a little bit of a conversation about the, the heaping coals on the head thing. Um, does that sound vaguely familiar? Um, that, uh, you know, we're like, wait a second, that doesn't sound like a nice thing to do. No, it's just an effect of when you're kind to people who are persecuting you, it, it burns them up. Um, you know, that's not, you know, you're trying to get something on them or whatever. But I think what we see in the progression here is that Paul is beginning to talk about uh, the purpose of government uh, is as a servant, as God's tool in order to punish evil and injustice while enforcing a, a form of civic righteousness. And I have to pause on that civic righteousness because we, we spent over a year on the, the, the first eight chapters, um, you know, this whole, this righteousness of God thing. We, we understand that our righteousness before God is something that is given to us freely as a gift. It's received by faith. It's Jesus' righteousness that's imparted to us. But there is righteousness in terms of how we interact with each other. And it's not the same thing. Uh, it can flow one from the other, but you know, even the godless can do things that are civically righteous. You know. By the way, just as an FYI, we really should be able to get through this part pretty quickly because we did it all You what's that? We had a discussion about all this at Sunday school last week with Pastor Sackridge. Oh, the week before. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good. Make it easy for me. 
Well, we'll see if I if I end up you know disagreeing with him because I would hate to disagree with the I eminent. Have heard of <laughs> I'm going to touch on Bonhoeffer here in a little bit. So, yeah. Um, there's a, an English theologian, uh, N.T. Wright. Uh, a lot of the guys that I quote are dead. Uh, N.T. is one of those guys who is alive. He goes by Thomas Wright. Um, but he, he wrote this in his commentary on Romans. He says, ruling authorities are what they are because God wants order in the present world. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul is writing about worship, but the principle still applies when he says, uh, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. You know, governments are intended to have, uh, uh, to, to set a structure and an order for people to be able to live at peace and to thrive. Um, so he starts out, he says, let every person, let every literally soul um, submit or be subject that's a passive imperative. You know, it's just, this is something that's done on you. Um, let every person be subject to the authorities who are in high positions. For there is no authority if it is not either in or from or under God. Every authority is connected to who God is. Uh, and the ones that exist have been put in place and arranged, again, by, from, under God. So why, according to this, would we submit to governing authorities? Keep mm -hmm. and, and not take it a step beyond that. Submit to God. Mm -hmm. It's a commitment to God, and we're recognizing that this is a gift in light of his mercy that is intended for our good. It's something that flows from, from his goodness and his, his compassion for us. Um, this word that's translated submit or be subject, um, it can be related to, uh, to force. Um, I have two brothers, and uh, I don't know if any of you or your, your children ever did small package. You know what I'm talking about? It's where you take a guy and you get him on his back and you wrap his legs up and you press his legs into his chest and you hold him there. Do you submit? <laughs> Cry uncle, right? Um, yeah, uh, so we can use the word submit like that. That somebody has constrained you, grabbed you, and bound you up. Do you submit? And this word can be used that way. But usually in the New Testament, the word has this sense of placing oneself under somebody else or under something else. It, it's more of a matter of freedom than of, you know, like violence or constraint. So if we understand this, um, how, will, how will we understand the idea of, you know, be subject to the government if we think in terms of power and coercion. Is the government there as a gift or is it there as like a, a despot and something that is there to constrain us? I think we're gonna look at it as something that's almost like a punishment sometimes. And does government sometimes act like that? Yeah, because we live in a sinful fallen world. However, 
if we understand this, this whole idea of being subject in terms of, in the view of the mercies of God, then we can begin to look at the government and see it as a gift that God has given to us. And even though it is flawed because it's made up of sinful people, we can still then be thankful for the government and recognize the good that God does for us through the government. A little bit of, a, of an attitude thing there. Yeah. The Russian government is often described as a The the Russians describe what? Kleptocracy. <laughs> okay. And in fact, you know, if you look at the oligarch structure, yeah. it's very true. And it, it blurs the distinction between government and organized crime. So, you know, I, I think in Rome it was pretty clear what was the government and what isn't. But in particular places that are sort of unstable, Right. Yeah. Well, it makes me think of Mexico. You know, is the Mexican government in control throughout all of Mexico? No. There are regions that are very much under the the domination of cartels, right? Um, you know, and uh, uh, you know, so if you're a citizen and you're living in that area, it's almost like you have a dual citizenship. You know, I'm going to pay my taxes to the state of Mexico, and yet. There are rules that I'm going to live by in order to thrive. Right. I will do good, right? I think you brought that up earlier. In the light of these people so that I will be left alone, mm -hmm. right? That kind of an idea. I circled that in verse 3, do what is good. <clears throat> the government will, will find your approval. Our government's all upside down. If you do good, it isn't there's a lot of governments that you know are going to approve and disapprove of things that are connected to the Christian faith um, and they and are going to approve and reject things because they are run by sinners but even if you go to the basic and share the love of God you offend half the country I don't know I, I'm not sure that you know there are people who are offended for sure but that's always been the case. What, what is, go back to the Beatitudes. When Jesus talks about, you know, we'll open our Bibles to Matthew chapter five. Yeah, particularly that last part. You know, so the Beatitudes, um, Notice, blessed are the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay? No, present verb, uh, it is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, they shall be comforted. Okay? Um, so you start out with this idea, the poor in spirit, theirs is the kingdom. And then there's all these things that, looking off to the future, the meek shall someday inherit the earth. Um, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied in the end. Um, blessed are the merciful. They will receive mercy in the future. 
Uh, blessed are the pure in heart. They shall see God at some point. Blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Being persecuted for righteousness' sake, in other words, being persecuted for standing up under God's word, proclaiming the truth, bringing forth the gospel, it is to be expected that we're going to experience persecution um, un under that, um, on varying degrees. But you won't have an approval of the government. No. That's my problem with that statement. <laughs> no, no, nor are we seeking it. But we are seeking to live in peace. And we recognize the government as a tool that's intended to do that. I think the question, maybe as Nancy has and I have, it says, do good and you love government. That's what it says at the end of the story. Right. No, we don't. Well, if you go around murdering people, are you going to have the government's approval? If you go around beating people, you're not going to have the government's approval anywhere if you go around beating people. Um, if, you, uh, if you go around thieving, government's approval? No. You know, th these are, you know, th that's the kind of thing it's talking about. It's talking about that civic righteousness where you live in a, a decent relationship with, with each other. Now, will you get in trouble? Um, you know, for proclaiming the gospel in certain places. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. And uh, we're going to talk about, you know, what if you find yourself in that place? So, yeah. I remember Paul spent a lot of time in prison. He did. And he, he preached to prison and he converted yep. some, some jailers. And I, I could be wrong, but I don't think he ever said, well, now that you're converted, Um, in that particular situation, they didn't know he was a Roman citizen. Well, that's something else. But you're right. He he did not say that at that, you know, hey, I... But, I mean, I'm saying he, he sort of practiced what he preached. Yeah. He did not say, I know you just let me go, not knowing I'm a Roman citizen, that you lose your job and probably something... In your life? Worse. Yeah. Yes. And I imagine the same thing. I don't know how he was executed, but Nero must have given someone in order to kill Paul. Yep. I, I, I don't know our, our, understanding, our understanding is that um, he was later arrested for proclaiming the gospel. You know, and they would have said, you know, rebellion or, or something like right. that, you know. Um, but uh, unlike... You know, like Peter was crucified, um, and tradition tells us that that happened, he was upside down. Um, Roman citizens could not be executed the same way that non-citizens could. Mm -hmm. And so we believe that Paul was uh, uh, taken to a roadway and beheaded, which is one of the most yeah. civil ways to execute somebody. Yeah. If that can be considered that, I guess. You know, French Revolution, guillotine, right? 
because it worked so well. By the way, did you know that the guillotine was invented by a dentist? Remember that next time you get your teeth cleaned. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, where does authority come from? It comes from God. Um, and I want to point out too, this is true of ministry. You know, in my call documents, you know, it, it literally, um, there's a, so there's a call document that basically says, uh, we want you to come and be our pastor. And then there's a supplement to that document called uh, the Diploma of Vocation that then describes, this is what we want you to do. And I want you to hear what it says. This is in the footnotes there. In the name of the triune God and by his authority, in order that we might carry out his mission to the world, we hereby authorize and obligate you. The congregation says, God has authority that extends through us and we are giving that authority and the obligation to exercise that authority among us. It's a kind of a parallel to what we're talking about. So as citizens, we recognize that God has authority and that he has placed certain people in authority. And there is a certain amount of the will of the governed. You know, that's very American language. But, uh, but there is a certain amount of that because in the history of the world, what happens when governments get particularly bad? There's often some kind of a revolt or uprising and the government is cast off and something else comes in, which could be better or worse, right? We're, we're watching this in Russia right now with Putin. If Putin is out, the big question that's being asked is, who's coming in? Yeah. Yeah. You know, when, um, uh, when Gorbachev and, you know, the, did it go, Gorbachev and Yeltsin, or was it the other way around? There was a Medvedev too, Medvedev. Yeah, and he was in the mix too. You know, there was all the, what's this going to do to you know Perestroika and Glasnost and all of this stuff? You know, this peaceful stuff that was happening at the time. Um, and yeah, so you have all of that with the the rise and fall of government, uh, and it's 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 all interrelated. But ultimately, authority, all authority, comes from God. As you read through this section, God is mentioned by name six times in those seven verses. He's emphasizing that. Um, a number of verses throughout the scriptures that really point to authority being from God. Uh, Proverbs 8, um, wisdom, which is a personification of God, says, by me, kings reign and rulers prescribe righteousness. By me, princes ex exercise princedoms as also nobles, also judges of righteousness. Uh, in Isaiah chapter 11, there's this messianic prophecy that Christ will reign in righteousness and execute judgment, that he has authority over all. Daniel chapter 2. You're getting into uh, the story of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And this is Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talking to Nebuchadnezzar, the, the emperor, really. He goes by king, but he has an empire. Majesty, you are king of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, 
power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live or wild animals or birds of the sky, he has handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. That's a statement. God put you in this office. Uh, Nehemiah chapter 9. The abundant harvest goes to the kings uh, you have set over us. The kings that God has set over us because of our sins. Catch that. Why is government necessary? Why are kings necessary according to Nehemiah? Because of our sin. This idea is that the government constrains bad behavior and promotes good behavior, which is debatable whether or not it actually accomplishes that. However, that's the goal. That's the purpose. Um, John chapter 19, Pontius Pilate talking to Jesus. Do you refuse to speak to me? Don't you know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? So he's saying, I've got, I've got the authority. And Jesus replies, you would have no authority over me at all if it had not been given to you from above. So pause on that for just a second here. Who crucified Jesus? The Romans, they were a tool to do that, okay. Yeah, the Father crucified Jesus. Why? Because that was what was necessary to save us from our sins and out of his love for us. And it's not like, you know, it's not like Jesus was like, oh, look what dad's doing to me. You know, he is in on the plan from the you know, ground level. You know, he is God and all of that. And he, you know, Hebrews 12, I think it is, uh, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. You know, it's like, yep, I'm going to do this. But the authority of Pilate to crucify Jesus comes from Caesar from God. So, are governments accountable to God? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, the Third Reich, you, somebody mentioned Bonhoeffer earlier. Yeah. Uh, Bonhoeffer, I, I find him to be fascinating because here is this, uh, this Christian pastor. He's very, um, very formed by Lutheranism. He's got some reformed ideas that are in there too. Um, heavily influenced by Karl Barth, um, and uh, he decides to uh, join a rebellion, an assassination attempt. Does that sound like a very Christian thing to do? Not on the face of it, no. And do you know how, do you know how Bonhoeffer justified his action in, in, in World War II? How he explained why it was okay for him to participate in an assassination attempt? I did. He didn't. Oh, okay. He didn't. He, he never said, no, what I'm doing is right. He said, basically, I'm living in opposition to an unjust government, but it is God's authority, and it is corrupt at the moment, and so I'm part of a new government, maybe? But he never really gets into, this is good, I did the right thing. Nope. Sin boldly. That Lutheran axiom. 
I'm going to sin boldly and trust in God's mercy. And, uh, you know, I'm going to pray that he brings something better out of this than what we have. Um, we live in Hudson, Ohio. And uh, there was a very famous guy who came from our area by the name of John Brown. Right? You know, he, when he was out in Kansas, um, he and some of his followers, I think they killed 12 out there. Um, and, uh, and then he came and he raids Harper's Ferry. Do you know how he, you know, just basically, you know, justified his actions? He didn't. He's kind of like, we're at war, which I'm not actually sure that, I don't think that, I don't think we were in the Civil War yet when he was doing what he was doing. But, you know, in his mind, they were at war. And so he behaved as though they were at war, and he did not ever say, what I did was good, what I did was right. You know, just, I'm living in, an, in a corrupt system, and I'm trying to be faithful to what is good and true. Now, does that mean that he was right? Or that Bonhoeffer was right? No. But both of them, they went to their deaths, confessing their sin, and not really apologizing for what they did in terms of, you know, the, the insurrection or whatever you want to call that. I find that interesting. It's just like, I'll stand before God. I'll live in his grace. Um, what's the date today? The 9th of July, right? Five days ago, we had a little celebration, right? Were the, the founding fathers of the United States right in sending off the Declaration of Independence and breaking bonds with the King George III and the British government? I think you could make some arguments that would say that was unjustly done in terms of you know, the Christian faith. Has God blessed that, though? Has God used that? Sure, sure. God works all things to the good of those who love him, and even when we screw up, we live by his grace. And, uh, you know, I, I think that there's an element of, of humility when we're dealing with government and these big things like this um, that acknowledge that this is what the government is intended to be a good gift for us. And when it's not, then we kind of struggle. Um, so how should we receive, oh, is the government's job to implement, to implement the laws of the Bible? Kinda, maybe? Because some of the laws of the Bible are specific to Israel. They're not intended for us, right? Um, you know, and so um, there, 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 is a, there is kind of a, a, a kind of thing there, but I, I want to look at that in terms of what is driving what the government is supposed to do and how are we supposed to live in righteousness. Um, the government operates out of power, right? You know, there's a power to constrain, there's a power to approve, 
Um, and it doesn't matter what the system is, there, there's, there's power that's involved there. When we look at the Christian life and living the Christian life, is that something that is motivated by power or is that motivated by love? It's by love. I, the example I like to use is when my kids were little, I would tell them to clean their room. And I always hoped they would. Simply because they love me, I'm their dad, and it's what I've asked them to do. When would they clean their room? When I'm so upset, I'm like, get in there and clean your blasted room! You know? You want love. And this is the thing that I have a hard time with, with the idea that we want the government to implement um, you know, all of the things that are good and true and right in the Bible. Um, there is an element that's, that they do, they are accountable to God and they represent him and should put forth what he wants them to do. That being said, as a Christian, I want people to be turned to this by love. Yeah. My granddaughter, when she was asked to straighten the police off, said, Oh, jeepers. <laughs> yeah. I think in reality we want the government to follow God's plan because he put them there, but I'm sorry, our government is led by sinning men and it's just not going to happen. Right. We Maybe live. in our new world, it will be that way. In our new world, who will be the king? That's right. Jesus. But right now, we have sitting man in control, and they are overrun by power. Yeah. Not by love. Right. And if we are the victims of that power, oh. Yeah. And can we be at peace with that? It's very difficult. I pray a lot for the leaders of the countries, yep. and it's in God's hands, and that's all I can do, so that gives me peace. Yeah, and that actually brings me to my next, my next bit here. How should we receive a bad government or bad governor in view of the mercies of God? Grace, prayer, yeah. and uh, I want to share a little bit of wisdom with you from a woman named Joy Dill. And I think probably, Ed, you're the only one in the room that knew Joy. Um, Joy um, was a member of this church long, long time. And uh, um, she had gotten shingles. And it had gotten into her nervous system. And it, it, was, a really, it was really bad and never got over it. And she was handicapped for the rest of her life because of that and pretty much in constant pain. And so she was one of my shut-ins. Uh, that I would visit. Um, I posted an article uh, a week or two ago about you know, it, visiting shut-ins. Um, if you read that, you know that this is not one of the things that I feel like I excel at. Okay? Um, in my previous congregation, I didn't have to do them. I was the youth pastor. You know, so a little bit of a learning curve when it came down here in terms of how to go about that and, um, you know, and, and all of that. And, uh, Joy wanted me to come visit regularly, and I think Joy would have liked to have me visit every week, and that's just not a possibility with you know, what I do and the responsibilities that I have, but, um, and she would like it, 
would have liked it if I would have sat with her for two to three hours at a time, which is also just not, I can't. Um, you know, so there are, you know, there are constraints. And uh, one time I was visiting Joy and she was mad at me for, you know, not having been there as often as she wanted me to be. Uh, and uh, she, uh, uh, well, she frankly looked at me and goes, you're not a very good pastor. What do you say at that moment? I said, well, Joy, how about this? Why don't you pray that God will help me to be a better pastor? Can you do that? Yep. So when we have a bad government that's not doing what it needs to do, what do we do? We pray for it. Because whose authority is it under? God's. And who are we speaking to when we pray? The one who's actually got the authority. And who works on our behalf and for our good. And can we be at peace after we leave it in God's hands? We need to be, but that human part of us doesn't really want to. Right. Yeah. And I think that's one of the reasons it's important to read the Psalms. Yeah, because there's all these things like, I'm so worked up again. I'm just going to trust in you, God. Well, you have to, but you're human nature. But, you you know, he put Jesus here, and Jesus understands our human nature. Mm -hmm. So we need to rest that he understands why we feel like we feel. Yep. And just, you have to let it go. Yeah. And in faith, we can. That's right. Yep. Sue. So in our system of government, we have a role to play. We do. And to be a good citizen. In our form of government. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you pray to sit back and don't do anything nope. and just accept whatever happens. Right. Which I know it's unusual in the world, but so I think that that becomes that's a hard balance for us. It is. It is. We have a we have a a unique place in terms of our voice in the government and our relationship to the government, um, and. Uh, I think that it's a hard balancing act for us as Christians because I think the temptation for us uh, is always to move toward that power thing in government. And so we want to use the government's power to enforce rather than the power that we've been given, which is actually love, which is what actually changes people. Um, But are we called to speak truth to the government? To call the government to righteousness? Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. Well, there's an incumbent running against the challenge. Yeah. And they both say, vote for me. Yep. Would Paul have said, you must always vote for the one who is currently in power and who tells you to? I don't know what Paul would say about that, but I could tell you what Luther would say about it, that it's better to have somebody who is competent and godless than someone who is incompetent and a Christian. And I can see that. Yeah. 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 I don't know where he would have gone. He didn't have much experience with the box. No, he didn't have any. Yeah. <laughs> you know. So, okay, we're going to wrap that up there, and we will come back to this idea. So, uh, next week, we'll spend a little bit of time talking about resisting government authority. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about capital punishment. 
um, submission. And uh, God willing, uh, we're, we'll also talk about things like taxes. Very uplifting. Um, and uh, I mean, you can read and see, get a, a, an idea of where I'm heading with that. But uh, um, I would just ask, don't assume that you know where I'm heading on any of these topics. Because I find myself very much, you know, moving more and more to a beat of a different drummer than uh, some of the traditional places that I grew up in. So let's pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word. We thank and praise you for the government. We thank and praise you for the peace that we live in. Uh, we look around, Lord, and we know that, boy, oh boy, there are a lot of things that ain't right here. And yet, we recognize that you have poured out blessings on us. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to always be grateful. And we ask, Lord, that you would bless our government uh, and help them to serve you well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.